Hi, this is the Home Bodies Yoga Podcast, and I'm Rebecca Hirsch, and this is our 39th episode. In this podcast, I ask people what they do when they unroll their yoga mat and tell you a little bit about what's going on on mine. If you have a question about your yoga practice or a suggestion for a guest, please email me at rebecca at homebodiesyoga.com. You can find me on Facebook and Instagram at homebodiesyogapodcast. To find out more about each show, please go to our website, homebodiesyoga.com. If you're enjoying the show, please rate and review and subscribe so you never miss an episode. And definitely subscribe because we've had quite the summer break, or I suppose I've had quite the summer break. I don't know what your summer break was like. Um, Yeah, just to quickly explain the kind of chaos in scheduling that's been going on. I had that long hiatus, and then I came back thinking I could come back in May to... um, putting out a podcast every two weeks like I was before. But it turns out, and I learn this again every summer, in the summer, not as many people are available to be interviewed. And it's actually really difficult to find people who are free. Like, there were plenty of people I interviewed who were like, sure, I'd love to be on the show. Why don't you email me in September? Um, So also, I was really busy. So it just finding the time to put out quality content was difficult and it was difficult to find people to interview. So I ended up taking the summer off as well, but now I'm feeling really ready to come back. It feels like the appropriate time, like the week after Labor Day, it's like back to school. I got a new notebook. I bought some new pens. I'm ready to come back. I have a lot of um, interesting interviews scheduled. So yeah, I'm feeling really good about being back and back every two weeks. Sorry about the chaos um, in scheduling and expectations. Um, I really try not to do that, but, you know, life happens. So anyway, I'm very excited about my guest today. It's Rachel Rajput, and she has actually been on the podcast before. She came, she was here on episode five, and um, she is a yoga studio owner in Oakland, California. She owns Left Coast Power Yoga, a wonderful community kind of real like family vibe yoga studio. I've worked there. And in the in episode five, I talk a lot about how wonderful Rachel is, just a very shiny, friendly, kind, generous person, super smart and accommodating and just great. I talk a lot about her in that, but I'm going to keep it short today because we have a lot to cover and just say that of all the yoga studio owners I've ever worked with, Rachel has was is by far the best. I think owning a yoga studio is very stressful and it can kind of put yoga um, studio owners and yoga instructors at odds sometimes, but that never, I never felt that way with Rachel. She's just complete, like very supportive and very clear that we all have the same goal, which is to make a beautiful yoga studio and beautiful, amazing classes for um, the people who come in. So yeah, I think that's really all you need to know about Rachel for now. Um, we talk a lot in the interview about how things have been sort of quote unquote post COVID, um, how, what, what she looks at when she's interviewing a yoga instructor for a position at her, one of her studios. We talk about how she takes care of herself We talk about everything going on with her new studio, with her new space and her new studios and all of the teacher trainings coming up at Left Coast Power Yoga, a lot of which seem super interesting. And we have a really good conversation about how to create community, which I think is super helpful for yoga studio owners, for small business owners, for um, 
anyone who's trying to create a community around something they love and something they want to bring to the world. Um, yeah, so super wise, super great interview. And it's kind of funny because something I wanted to talk about today um, is sort of related to Rachel because we have the same teacher who is Keith Borden. Keith was one of my first, really one of my first yoga teachers who taught me to take yoga seriously, like that this was could be something if I put my focus and my drive behind, it could be something that could really change my life. And he really taught me through less through words and just more through his own actions and his own, the way that the respectful way in which he treated his own yoga practice. And he really taught me a level of professionalism as a yoga instructor that I really needed to learn um, when I was a new yoga teacher. So I'm like forever grateful to him for that. And I know some of you are saying like, well, why don't you have him on the show? And it's like, guys, I emailed him. Lots of times. I would say enough times. It's getting to be a bit stalkerish. So, Keith, if you're listening, we'd love to have you on, but I'm not going to bother you anymore. I know you're a busy man. <laughs> um, anyway, a, this sounds wild, but I've, a couple times in my life, I've had dreams about Keith. Like, Keith will be my teacher in my dream and he'll be giving me some kind of wisdom. And I've been having these like really intense dreams lately. I think actually. Honestly, I think my dreams have been better because I've been on Instagram less. I've, I take it off my phone so I can only look on my computer. And I think that that has been very, for some reason, not looking at Instagram all day. I think it keeps my like subconscious mind kind of like more open. So I've been having more intense, like kind of more interesting dreams. Anyway, that's, that's a tangent. Um, I'll say this. First dream I ever had where Keith was in it was I was let's see I was probably 28 maybe 27 probably 27 and I had this dream where I went to a yoga studio there was a space right in front Keith was teaching I got to the space in front and and there was like a lot of room around me but I was like setting up my blocks and setting up my mat and Keith looked at me and he said like if you ever want if you want a partner to join you you need to leave space around your mat and I was like very happily single at the time and sort of like not really giving anyone the time of day. And I met Evan, my husband, I met him like literally three days later. And I remember when I'm meeting him thinking that like, oh, like maybe I need to give him a little space <laughs> too, like give him a little bit of the time of day. And that's worked out really great. Um, and then recently I had another dream about Keith where um, so I've been doing a lot of work in therapy. I've been doing a lot of meditation, a lot of self-reflection. And then this dream, it's like a very happy dream. It was a very happy dream. And I'm doing a full locus, like on my belly with my feet touching my head, which I've, even in my most flexible active days, like I could never do. And it's easy. Like it feels like effortless. Like it feels so, it actually feels like really good. And it, I was actually in my dream, I'm doing it in my bedroom where I've been practicing, you know, basically every day for the last th two or three years. Um, and but some for some reason, Keith walked by and I could hear him say in the dream, he said, um, you've been working on your back. You've been strengthening your back body and see how easy it is when your back body is strong. And the yogis believe the back body is the moon side of the body. The front body is the sun. So this like kind of like more intuitive and like, you know, the past and like 
working on. So just, I don't know, the dream felt, I woke up thinking like, oh, like this work that I'm doing in therapy and this work that I'm doing with meditation and this work that I'm doing in self-reflection and in journaling, like th- this is like making me strong and, and in a way making me more open, right? Because like in yoga, we always say like, if you are doing a backbend, which full locus really is, it's like, that's like, oh, being able to open your heart. I don't know. Maybe that's corny. And I know people hate hearing about dreams, but <laughs> I just like broke a cardinal rule, I suppose, probably of podcasting. But I don't know. It just feels really good to feel like you're like on the right path and, and any kind of any kind of like indication that I'm on the right path, I'll, I'll take it, I guess. Um, the other thing I really wanted to talk about today was I, speaking of meditation, um, I have a new meditation app that is free and it's called Enso, E-N-S-O. And it's just, it's very, very simple, but it's such a good meditation app. It is, um, basically it, you can, program it to ding after like a couple seconds so you push the button and then you have like a minute to settle in and then it'll ding just halfway through your meditation and then ding at the end and I guess if you want you could have it ding more times or you could change you could you know mess with the times a little bit but that that's how I have it set up and it's really so nice to just have that ding to be like okay really start now and stop wiggling and then that ding to be like okay, are, are you paying attention? Cause we're halfway through, like you did set the timer, like don't look at your phone. And then that three, that last thing to have like a second afterward, because I did just, I was just setting a timer on my phone, but then you come out of meditation, like kind of in a rush in a hurry because you want to turn that timer off cause it's going off. And it just feels, it always kind of felt like it startled me. Um, and that ends of timer, I don't feel that way. So I really recommend it. I also was trying to look this up, but I have no idea where I got it. But I read somewhere that a 12-minute meditation is like the minimum for actually recharging your mind. And I was doing 10. So I was like, shucks, I could do 12. So I've been doing 12. And I actually do think I notice a difference. It could be psychological. Um, sorry, I couldn't find my source. But I don't know. Maybe try 12 minutes if if 10 is working for you all right. Why not try 12? Maybe it'll be even better. Um, I definitely felt that way. Um, and then there's something else I want to talk to, to you guys about, about my practice. Oh, another thing about Keith. Sorry, back to Keith. Um, I can remember I took a class with him when I was, oh, I mean, I was going to his classes a lot probably when I was like 25, super into vigorous yoga, like very, you know, just like really in the physical part, which I think a lot of people are in the beginning of their yoga practice. They get like very into the physical part or, you know, maybe when people are young, maybe it's both, maybe it's one or the other. Anyway, I was like very into just like the physical practice. And, you know, in Surya Namaskar A, you hop forward and you hop back. And, um, you know, that was like the hop. I was like so into the hop because it's kind of like one of the more vigorous parts of the vinyasa practice, hopping forward and hopping back into chaturanga. If you're not sure what that means, it just means hopping back with your elbows bent. So it's like hopping from the front of your mat into kind of like a mid push up. It's probably the burpee of the yoga practice, if we're being honest, although it sounds kind of sacrilege to say that. Anyway, um, so I remember in class, Keith said something like, oh yeah, like I just can't be bothered to hop back anymore. Like I just I just, I just stopped caring. He's like, when I was young, I remember hopping back and forward used to be like so important to me. And now I just would rather walk. 
And I am at that place in my yoga practice <laughs> where I just like don't care. Like I don't like occasionally I hop forward, but hopping back is like kind of hard and I always feel it on my joints and I, I would just rather step back. So I feel like I finally like made it to that part of my practice where I'm like, I just can't be bothered to hop back. Like it's just, it's just not as important to me. Um, anyway, I think maybe that's what brought the whole key thing into my mind to begin with. But no more Keith for now, although Keith, anytime you want to come on the podcast, again, I'm here. You can email me, you can find me on Instagram, whatever, give me a call, either way. Um, anyway, uh, so excited to welcome Rachel Rajput. I think you will really enjoy this interview. Um, and please find her at her Instagram, which is in the show notes, but you can just uh, it, find the um, Left Coast Power Yoga Instagram. It's really well done and fun and cool. Um, so check it out and you can always message her there. Okay, here is Rachel. Welcome, Rachel. Thanks for being here. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to talk to you again. Same. Um, and we have a lot of catching up to do because last time we talked, it was kind of real mid-pandemic, a lot of change, a lot going on. And it sounds like a lot of things have been progressing for you and changing. So I want to talk about that. The first thing I want to ask you is, um, as a business owner and a studio owner, do you like consider it post-pandemic? Like, can we say that or is it not? <laughs> it's, it's funny that you asked that because I do, we are on an upward trend for the first quarter um, since, you know, Q2 of 2020. But it is also funny because uh, students come up to me all the time now and say, oh, congratulations on surviving the pandemic. But I think everybody's a little bit still on tenuous, um, uh, tenuous hold because we've taken on a lot of debt to get to this point. And, mm. you know, if, if numbers don't come back pretty strongly, I think you'll see very unfortunately, uh, more places shuttering in the second half of kind of 2022 and even into 2023. Um, particularly if there's another big type of surge that happens after the holidays, which we won't even, that could be a whole podcast. I won't even get into that. But yes, yeah, so cautiously optimistic, but definitely not out of the woods yet would be the summary. Yeah. Are you seeing a lot of students like from, we'll just use the language of pandemic. Are you seeing a lot yeah. of students from like pre-COVID times coming back? Like, is that, are, are they coming back home, so to speak? Yeah. Yeah, they definitely are. And I'll say that every day that I'm in the studio, I see at least another person or two say, this is my first class back since the pandemic. And so they've literally not been in a studio for two and a half years. So it's kind of ideal. I mean, we love it because A, they already know they like yoga. B, they probably have an etiquette around yoga. Mm. And, you know, C, they're just really excited to be back. These are people who are really cautious. You know, they haven't been in gyms. They haven't been practicing yet. You know, I'm here in Oakland, so it's a lot more, there's still more restrictions in place than most of the country. You still have to wear masks in most indoor settings. Um, and so we still have a lot of really cautious people. So we are happy to have them. I can happily say that we haven't had an outbreak the entire two and a half years, or I should say one and a half years since we reopened. I have had people report back to me that they did test positive after being in a class, but we've never had an instance of spread. So all the cleaning and, you know, we were masking for a long time. We're not anymore. They're optional now, but 
all of the hard work that we did with, you know, the new HVAC system and everything has really paid off. And I think also the fact that people are only in a class with these other human beings for an hour to 70, you know, 70 minutes at a time, they're not getting that close quarter contact to really pass anything. So we're very happy that we haven't had any spread in the studio. That's really great. Um, yeah. I know that you, not only do you own the studios and people who listen to will know, who know you will know this, but you're also a teacher. Have you noticed people's practices are different post pandemic? Like I've heard a lot of people say like people want more chill classes and things like that. Exactly. Yeah. hundred percent, hundred percent. We could not get people to go to restorative. Well, first of all, our name is power yoga. So of course that's <laughs> what people will always seek us out for, but before the pandemic, we could not really get people to go to a restorative class unless it was a really well-known teacher that they already had no relationship with. Mm-hmm. And I almost want to say it's the opposite now. So people are really seeking out the sound healings, the, you know, restorative classes, everything that has to do with like lying down and chilling, you know, yin yoga, flow and restore, those numbers are really great. Um, and they'll even go to teachers that they don't even know, which is the first time that we've ever seen this. Um, in general, people come back and they say, you know, I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm weak or I'm, I'm stiff or I'm not feeling strong. And so they really want to get their practice back in a mindful way. But I think the shift is they don't want to go back to the craziness that they did before. And of course, people are seeing this in their work life too. They don't want to go back to the stress of commuting, you know, two hours a day and then running to a class and, oh my gosh, being late and stressed out and then running home. And people are just, learning to be more spacious with their time and more mindful. So I think that's also flowing into the yoga practice. To sum it up, we could say like people are becoming more type B even with their yoga practice and a little bit less type A where they have to go to the same class at the same time with the same teacher every day. Mm -hmm. And like have to have the same experience. Like I definitely know, Mm -hmm. I mean, I was like that too, where like I wouldn't go to a new teacher because it's like, well, I, I know what this teacher teaches and like, I know I like it. Yeah. Yeah. And people walk in and you can just see on their faces that like they've been through stuff now. They're, they're, they're coming out of some trauma. We're in this collective trauma experience and they need their healing. They're looking to us for that. And, you know, I'm getting so much gratitude from students, so much love and we're getting, you know, appreciation from people that, you know, for their first outdoor class or their first indoor class, just that there's space to be held, that there's, containers to do it in we have tons of people that cry in class or that are letting out emotions and for that reason alone I'm so glad we you know we're still around right now yeah I want to talk about that a little bit um you are one of the few uh yoga studios sadly that is left standing in uh, Oakland and I know a big part of it is you have like a great teaching community and I as someone who's worked for you, I know you're a great studio owner, but like, what, what do you think your secret like sauce is that you still have two studios standing in Oakland? Yeah. Well, thank you for that compliment. That is very sweet. Um, There's definitely been times when I'm like, I do not know what the F I'm doing. You know, you're making it up as you go along. There was challenges where when we were constantly on and off with the mask mandates, Mm. I had such decision fatigue. And I'm like, I'm not qualified to make these decisions, you know, mask on, mask off, or mask in the lobby, mask inside. But, you know, and it was just so exhausting that every week or two, people were coming back to me and going, well, what do we put on Instagram this week? What's our policy around this? What's our policy around that? Mm. So thank you for saying that. It was, 
it it was it definitely um humbled you know all of us i think and then i think for studios first and foremost i don't like to think of it as studios closing permanently a lot of them have just lost their spaces mm-hmm. so you'll see them in the parks you'll see them on zoom everyone's just kind of biding their time a little bit because the rent is still high in commercial but I think we're starting to see a little bit of softening of that. And I know there's certain people that are just waiting for the market to soften a little and they're hundred percent going to, you know, come back and get a new space. So I don't, you know, some of them kind of gone underground, if you will. Um, But some of them have just decided it's time to retire. It's time to pack up shop. Um, As for us, I hate to make it so simple, but it depended on that. We happen to have good lease and mortgage uh, stipulations in place. One of the locations I lost right away, um, that was our uptown location and the landlord was not willing to work with us. In fact, it cost me $20,000 to get out of that lease even during the pandemic. Yeah, so I lost my um, security deposit, which was 8,000 and I was forced to pay, I think four additional months after we had closed down before they would let me out of lease or they threatened to take me to court which was probably vastly illegal to do to a business owner in um, COVID, but you know, it was a big company and they were like, no, this is what you have to pay. So to even get out of that situation, I had to pay a lot of money, but the other two, I'm very grateful. We had mortgage relief uh, provided by the SBA on our Laurel building, which we actually closed escrow on six weeks before the shutdown. <laughs> so I was the proud owner of a yoga studio building for six beautiful weeks before we had to shut it down. But due to that, we were able to get some leniency in our mortgage payments through the Small Business Association because that was our mortgage lender, you know. Um, and then for the third location, it was just kind of a handwritten lease that had been in place already for seven years. I basically just spoke to the landlords over there. They were, they are, it's an interesting story, two brothers who inherited the building from their great aunt and great uncle who were Buddhist monks that lived in the building and ran a Buddhist meditation center out of there. So they aren't really interested in making money on that building. They just don't want to really be bothered with it. So I put together a proposal, you know, how much I could pay, how, if we were closed this long, I could pay X and this with Y. And they were like, okay, well, just pay what you can and let's check in in six months. And we did that a couple of times. They were really kind and let us have some rent relief there. Also, I was able to open um, a pandemic pod and, uh, you know, get some income that way because I, my background is in schools. I was a school administrator for 10 years. So I knew, and I have two little kids, so I knew that childcare was going to be a hot ticket item. And we were able to get a waiver from the state of California to open a, they called it a pop-up childcare center, licensed childcare center. And we had that open for a year. So we were able to retain some income that way. But again, it was lucky that I had that certain set of skills and that certain set of landlords that allowed us to hold on to both of those spaces for that time. That's so interesting. So like, if you were to give advice to someone opening a studio now, would you say like, don't go with like a corporate building? Like if you can get rent from a non-corporate building, like do that and like corporate's a little more dangerous. You're going to be more likely to negotiate if you're renting from a person. But Mm -hmm. I put that lease into place in 2012 and in 10 years, 
the landscape of commercial real estate has changed so much in the Bay Area. I don't even know if such a thing exists anymore. You know, I think that in these times, you're more likely than ever to have, um, you know, what different kinds of like what's called a triple N lease, which rolls in some of the property taxes into your lease and all these other additional fees. And we'll see, you know, if there's so many vacant places now that they might relax a lot of these rules and regulations, but we'll just have to see what the next year brings. It would be really sad. There's so many places vacant now, you know, if they're still being really strict about all these leasing terms, I just don't know that they're going to get tenants, which mm-hmm. creates blight, of course, as we see in San Francisco and Oakland and tons of other places. Yeah. Yeah. It's so interesting. They'd rather have no money at all and just wait. <laughs> just wait it out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Kind of sad. Um, is there any other, like kind of on that vein, do you have any other, like you've been a business owner through some like possibly the most difficult time to open a business ever or to be in a business ever. Um, and, um, you've, you know, been successful and your businesses are wonderful places. Like do you have any advice for somebody opening a yoga studio or opening, you know, a small business now? Yeah. Um, well, we have a really strong community of teachers. And I think, you know, I was fortunate enough to get the PPP loan because a year or two before the pandemic, California made the rule that we had to switch all of our teachers, as you remember, mm-hmm. to employees, which is was really hard. And actually, we should circle back to this because it's one of the reasons that some places have decided to not reopen, which is really sad. But anyway, in my situation, because I had listed everyone as an employee, I was then eligible for the Paycheck Protection Act money, um, which basically kept us open, not open, but when we had to close down, we were able to run Zoom classes and I was able to pay the teachers pretty fairly for their time. So rather than just saying, okay, we're shutting down, we didn't want to lose these memberships. So we put everybody on a lower cost Zoom membership we said, don't leave us. <laughs> We're going to you know, bump you down from this payment to this. Please come to class on Zoom. And then we just, I paid the teachers to do a number, several Zoom classes a day. And we rolled with that for about a year. And then we added the outdoor classes in pretty quickly, which was a wonderful, oh, I just can't even tell you how amazing it was in summer of 2020 to get together in a field and practice yoga with people. We do silent disco style. So we had the headphones, everyone could socially distance. People were crying that they were practicing yoga in the fresh air and the sun. Like I was crying. We were all crying. We were so joyful to be together. And so I really think that's what got us through those Sunday morning or Saturday morning classes outdoors and then the Zoom classes. I know that it was a lot harder for studios that decided not to do the zoom outdoors to just temporarily close it was a lot harder for them to reopen so you know not that something like this would ever happen again maybe it will i don't know i would say that if you want to continue your community just provide something for them even during the shutdown provide some thread of you know your former glory just so that they can continue to show up see their teachers and get their yoga practice it's a lot you know if if you if you completely shut down and don't offer that you're going to basically be building up from scratch again. Yeah. Cause people, you know, un- unsubscribe those emails and then they don't know what's going on with you anymore. That makes sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, okay. And then is there anything like, obviously hindsight's 2020. So like not beating ourselves up or anything, but is there like anything mm-hmm. that you're like, I definitely, if, if I had known, if I had known about COVID or if I had known this was going to happen, like I definitely wouldn't have done X 
Like, do you have any regrets? Yeah. I probably wouldn't have been so hasty to try to open multiple locations at the time, Mm -hmm. because I do think that just having one solid location, because of course, the minute it's closed, you have all the costs associated with it. So Mm -hmm. yeah, I would have probably waited to open my second location and, you know, maybe just done that a little bit differently because we ended up with just two at the end of it. So I probably wouldn't have opened three had I known, you know, what was going to happen. But in terms of everything else, you know, just relationship. Well, another thing is I probably wouldn't have had so many teachers because it was really hard to kind of corral everyone to stay aboard this, you know, somewhat sinking ship. So I think being more mindful, well, this is advice for myself today too. And for anybody ever, is just be mindful who you bring on. And they say, you know, hire slow, fire fast, not that you're mm. out there firing people, but just be more discerning with who you're bringing into your fold because you're only as great as your weakest link, right? So during the first shutdown, I had teachers that I thought were friends and or loyal or committed to the studio that I never heard from again. Mm, wow. We reached out, we said, this is our plan. You know, we're going to be doing these Zoom classes. We had a couple of meetings kind of like, we're all in this together nothing like no email, no text, just never saw them again, never said I'm leaving or I don't want to be a part of it. And I'm like, wow, I can't believe we had people like that around, but it was a, it was a great equalizer because the folks that did stay on have gotten so much closer. So we're very grateful and happy for that. We have a lot of our teachers who stayed with us the whole two years and who are now, you know, back to in-person teaching and um, leading workshops and teacher trainings and and really amazing people. So I'm super grateful for that. And that definitely helps um, retain your students, right? Because they're coming mm-hmm. back from the teachers that they love for the teachers definitely. they love. Yeah. Um, and because one, I was just say one other thing is because some other studios have closed or gone underground, we have had access to teachers with just a wealth of knowledge that maybe we would have been, you know, in competition before for them. And we maybe have more access to them now because there's just less open studios right now. Oh yeah. That's interesting. That makes sense. Yeah. Um, okay. I'm trying to figure out where I have so many questions, but I guess, <laughs> sorry. Uh, the first one um, is I've, I've heard you mention community a lot of different times and it's something I've observed that you're really good at is like building community. Um, Mm. And, you know, I think maybe it might be hard for you to answer because it feels to me that it's intuitive for you, but like for someone opening a yoga studio or a yoga teacher trying to build more of a following, like what are some, do you have any like tips for building community? Yeah. So I think people really want, we all really want to be seen as individuals, not a number or a credit card. Um, And what we do now, again, looking at being really mindful and discerning, not with just our teachers, but with our students, is we do a short questionnaire about what they expect to get from us to make sure that we're really an aligned fit. And then I'm actually doing an intake call, a 15-minute intake call with every student before they do the new student special, um, which is a 28-day challenge for $69. They really want to make sure that we can serve them and that we can offer them what they're looking for. So when you talk about community building, you know, 
who is a good fit for us and who is who are we a good fit for we don't we're not a good fit for everybody you know Mm. it's it's just true and so if we can be a little bit discerning at the get-go you know there's people who have done the 15-minute intake with me and we never heard from again that's fine you know it's not it wasn't what they were looking for and I think that is better because we know that the people who are coming in person to the studio after that short little process are people that really want to be there and are people that are probably going to maybe continue and become a member or jump in on a retreat or, you know, something like that. Um, which brings me to the second community building, which is I think you need to offer a lot of different things because everybody likes to go to different things or likes to participate in different things. So we offer now, in addition to just the classes, but remember, there's still people that aren't comfortable practicing inside. So we offer the outdoor classes. We're offering one-day retreats, weekend retreats, and then also full-week retreats to Mexico. So, and you would think, and this is a little bit how this uh, used to be, is that the students that come to the weekly classes are the ones that come on the retreat. And that's how I used to think it. Right. So I was always talking to my students that showed up for my Monday and Wednesday classes, like, oh, here's this retreat. And we're finding more and more now that it's actually different people. Um, and maybe the people that are interested in a one day women's retreat with a pool and mimosas and hot tubs aren't necessarily the ones that want to do hot, sweaty power yoga at 530 on Tuesdays and Thursdays. You know, so we're, we're trying to serve a lot of different ways to create community. We're doing fino and vinyasa. Um, we're starting to offer childcare in the studio for the moms who, you know, just really can't get away or they are full-time stay-at-home moms and their kids are with them all the time. Um, so I don't think there's any one answer to that, but I think offering a variety of different things at a variety of different price points, you know, some of them should definitely be free. Some of them can be a little bit more expensive. You want to try to capture the interest of as many different people as possible. Yeah. It's like, um, learning the needs of, yeah, it's kind of like, yeah, that's interesting. And I also feel like there's a way that 15 minute call is also like you connect with them, right? They're like, Oh, the studio owner Mm -hmm. like wants to hear from me. And like, I feel like everybody likes that to be heard. Like how nice. (laughs) They have been so fun. I'm telling you, I didn't think I'd be looking forward to these calls because they're essentially like sales calls. Right. But they have been so fun. I learned about this woman's pregnancy, you know, me and you both love prenatal yoga. So we talked about she's 23 weeks pregnant. Um, I learned about this really interesting shoulder thing that this guy has going on. And they loved to talk about, you know, themselves and it too. So um, those have been really fun. And we're going to have a couple more staff members doing them. It's a new program. So I'm doing them all now, but we're going to be doing, um, you know, have a couple more people doing them. Once we get a little busier in the fall, we're about to hopefully come into a busier season with the, when the weather gets cool, everyone comes into their practice. So that's exciting. Yeah. Um, I also really love the idea of a one day retreat. I feel like I haven't seen that very much. That's a really good idea. It's, it's really hard to find places because mm. there's such a high demand for the beautiful, you know, Airbnbs and such in wine country, but um, usually they have minimums, right? So you pretty much have to often sign up uh, for two nights or three nights. And it's just, I just happen to have a couple friends that have these gorgeous houses that are willing to <laughs> rent them out to a bunch of yogis here and there. Oh, so, well, they know you'll take good care of them. <laughs> yeah. Well, and they are yogis too. So yeah. 
Oh, that's so cool. Um, yeah. yeah. And that's again, part of your community. Like, it's like you like invest in your community and they invest in you. It makes sense. Hmm. Yeah. I think a lot of them too feel, I don't want to see they feel bad for us, but they feel like if they have a little something to give, whether it's time or energy, you know, they're looking for local businesses that have survived and that need a little bit of help and boosting. So they might be more likely to say, you know, offer up a house that we could use because um, they want to see us stay open. You know, it's the same with a lot of the schools. You know, we all, I have little kids in the public schools and we all realize what a challenge these years have been for these organizations. And we're a little bit more likely to maybe, you know, get some more time or money or volunteer uh, just to keep them, just to keep them sustainable. I was going to say, it's a little bit like karma because, um, like whatever I'm, I feel like when I compliment you, you, you get a little shy, but I'm going to get anyway, like you're very much a giver. Like you, you really are, you'll help anybody with it. You know, you're very helpful. And like, maybe it's not the same people you help who are always the ones who are, you know, helping you. But I think it's like, I definitely believe in karma. And I feel like that Mm. is like a part of karma for sure. Thank you. And maybe, you know, I think that's probably the community thing bit too, is like, you like build these like bonds with people from that, I think. Definitely. And I think we've also trended a little bit more towards the spiritual, as you mentioned at the beginning of the call, like it was always power, 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 and a little bit more, we've incorporated the eight limbs. I have more teachers that do bhakti yoga, which is chanting, that do mantra, that do all these healing practices. And you know, it's really hard out there now. There's much more homelessness. There's desperation in the Bay Area. There's a lot of have versus have not. You know, social services are trying to curb the homelessness problem, but it's almost like it's too little too late because prices have risen so much and it's gotten so expensive that there's a lot of desperation. So I think people are really seeking a place to feel held and just relax and let their guard down. And when we are able to provide that and when they feel safe and supported in a place, you know, of course, they're more likely to want to jump in and volunteer or, um, you know, keep that place around in some way. So we've seen a lot of that coming forward, people coming forward for volunteering, too. Mm, Yeah. Yeah. And just wanting to help. Like, it's like there's something about like a scrappy like it's like, yeah, like I want to be a part of this new thing that's like being Mm -hmm. created. Um, we've talked, we've talked a little bit about, you know, some like wonderful teachers that you have working at left coast and some, also some, you know, things that didn't work out. Um, and I'm wondering like how, like, what are you thinking when you're auditioning a new teacher? Like, what are you looking for? Yeah. I love that you had sent me a note that we would chat about that briefly. (laughs) So (laughs) I made a couple notes and you know, of course, I am not the be all end all. Everyone is going to have their own requirements, but um, I do go to a lot of classes and watch what's working in the class, maybe more than mm-hmm. many. So uh, the first thing is when the teacher comes in, they're doing this audition. Well, first of all, I don't audition. I don't put people in that uncomfortable situation. We don't do like, okay, teach a class, you know, for me and one other manager. 
Occasionally we'll do that if it's the only thing that can work, but I'd much rather watch them teach a class and see how they interact with students. Mm. Um, because I feel like that audition is just really artificial and you don't really get a chance to see what they're really like. They, they're totally on, they're kind of performing for you and they're usually super nervous and uncomfortable. hundred percent. hundred percent, right? So, um, you know, do they greet the students? Do they make a point to kind of learn someone's name, maybe not every single person, but at least, you know, ask their name. And can I hear them? That's a really big one, (laughs) right? So there's been so many times. And now remember with the pandemic, we have an air purifier, we have fans, we might have a door open, we have music going. So you're really forced to really, you know, work your voice and you need to know how to use your breath to support your voice. Mm. I'm a former acting teacher and theater person. So um, in my teacher trainings, we do a lot of breath work, voice projection, breathing for vocal production projection isn't necessarily the same as breathing for pranayama. So you sometimes have to teach people that Um, they often don't know what they sound like at the other side of a room. They, you know, often just hear themselves. So we do a lot of work with recording yourself. Um, Mm. New teachers tend to drop the last word of their, of their cue. So it'll be something like, inhale, lift your arms, exhale, forward fold, right? Uh, So you drop the end and that's kind of a clue that it might be a new teacher that's, uh, you know, not as confident. Um, Are they doing the whole class, right? Are they glued to their mat trying to just do the class and remember what comes next rather than watching the students? We really want someone that's walking around, interacting. You know, you and I both trained at Laughing Lotus. And so um, I think we really value not just doing your practice and narrating it, right? You're really Mm -hmm. um, looking at the students and interacting with them and cueing to them, not kind of to yourself internally. Um, What's their protocol for hands-on assist? Do they have a protocol? Are they confident? Mm -hmm. Do they do hands-on assist? We're looking for teachers that are doing hands-on assist because more and more people want them. You know, we want want to be safe and we want to be mindful, but people really are ready, most of them to be touched again. And I want to see someone that has a system. So if your system is, I'm going to offer hands-on assist, please raise your leg. You know, this might be dog. And then raise your leg if you would like to not be touched. That's a perfect system. If your system is using consent tokens, that's a system. If your system is to have everybody close your eyes and raise their hand, that's a system. But if you don't say anything, that's not a system. And then the Mm. students aren't sure if you're going to touch them or not. Um, and any time that like cues or things like that are murky is not a good sign. You know, the mm-hmm. students aren't sure what you're going to do. And so they're not sure what they should do. So just tell them, like, if you're not going to do hands on the fist, just say you don't do them. And if you are, have a little system, right? So they know what to expect. Um, again, you know, just even as you're walking around the room, can you still be heard? Are you cueing with your face turned away from the students and dropping your voice so we can't hear Um, These are all, you know, not super great things. Um, You know, everyone thinks it's all about getting right and left, right? Correct, right? (laughs) It's really not about that. Every new teacher is just so scared of mixing up right and left. I'd say that's one of the least important things because we all do that. We all mix them up sometimes. But um, I would like to see if the teacher can mirror the students. So Mm -hmm. by mirror, I mean you're facing the student And so you might tell the student, raise your right arm, and you have practiced this enough that you're raising your left arm, right? (laughs) So they're able to follow you. And that's also usually the sign of someone that's a little more confident or knows what they're doing a little bit more. Um, 
Do you know where you want them in the room? Do you have a system, right? Or do you just kind of let people put down their maps in a messy way and just sit wherever they want? Or do you say, you know, we're going to go in a circle or we're going to face this way. These are all just things that I want to see that they've made the choice. It's just like in acting, which is my background. Either there's a choice or there's not. So if they've made the choice that they want everyone in circle, that's a strong choice. And I love to see that. If they just let everyone kind of plop down wherever, that means they haven't thought it through. They don't know where the people are going and they don't really know how to be a leader in the class and tell them what to do. Um, filler words, you know, you can tell a student or a teacher is new if they have a lot of like, okay, we're going to do this and then we're going to do that and then we're going to do that. It's like, we want clear, direct communication. These people are paying for an hour of your time. So we don't need to have half of it wasted with just, um, you know, you kind of meandering about to the next thing you're going to say. Mm -hmm. uh, that goes along with people feeling held, right? Do we know where, does the teacher know where I'm going next? Can they convey it clearly? Um, that's a lot. Should I go on? No, I, I really love hearing this. Like, it's so interesting to me that you, it seems like you're like, if, if I had to like say your overall arching, it's like, you just want intentional teachers who have like thought yeah. things through, um, yeah. but you give them total freedom. Like, you know, yeah. whatever their, you know, policy is about henosis is fine, but they better have thought about it. Um, I like right. that. Yeah. Right. And if you are an alignment teacher, then please be an alignment teacher. Do not try to be a flow teacher. Mm -hmm. Do not try to be an Ashtanga teacher. Be the best darn, you know, whatever you are. And you can be different things, but I don't think you can be different things at the same time. So mm -hmm. if I say I'm an Ashtanga teacher, I also teach Vinyasa flow and I also teach restorative, let me know which one you're teaching that day so I know where to go with you, right? Mm -hmm. Don't try to just mix it all up and be everything to everyone because that's never going to work. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Yeah. I think that's kind of it. Of course we want to hear alignment cues, um, but I don't think most studio owners or auditioners or whoever really needs you to throw in your most fancy Sanskrit and Latin. You're just going to confuse students. We want you to be accessible. I love hearing Latin or Sanskrit. If it's kind of explained afterwards, you know, not just thrown out so that you sound smart. <laughs> tell, take, take the time to explain to the students what the you know meniscus is um, or some, you know, <laughs> yeah, something exactly. like that so yeah and then again with chanting I I don't I like it I don't have a preference whether or not you do it but let it be authentic to you you know let it be intentional don't just come up with a chant five minutes before because you think oh gosh this is a studio where everyone chants so I have to do it you know we can tell. We can tell if you're doing that. Oh my gosh! Yeah, I, I had a. I worked at a studio where chanting was required for the teachers, and it is not. Look, I can't sing. It's not like I think it's beautiful. I cannot do it, and it was every day. Started every class started with me being slightly humiliated, like every single class. Right, right. Whereas if you are really um, passionate about pranayama do that. You know, yeah. we would love to hear you talk about something you're passionate about rather than try to kind of fit into a cookie cutter of what, you know, what you think we want. Um, and I think that's where some studios really shine. And I'm not, I know we are going to talk about teacher training later, but the way we select our teacher trainers is it's just really, they teach what they're the most passionate about. You know, what, what do you really love? You know, we have a teacher, Adam, you know, him who mm -hmm. really loves bhakti and chanting and has just been doing it for years 
And he's our bhakti teacher. He can talk about it forever. His face just lights up. He just has so much joy talking about it. That's who I want to learn chanting from, you know, not someone that has 800,000 hours of yoga, you know, education in some other field. It's like the person who's the most passionate about that lives it authentically. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And it's just, that's the way to learn is hearing from someone who loves it because then you get, you know, it's like in, infectious. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Let's talk about your teaching. Cause we were talking before and you have a lot of exciting ones going on. Please share. Yeah. So we, um, one of my pandemic projects was getting our 300 hour, uh, underway, which is our advanced teacher training. Um, we haven't got it, um, officially recognized by yoga Alliance yet, but we're in the process. And so our 300 hours, our advanced training, and that's for people who already hold a 200 hours. And we're going to start that September 30th. I'm going to lead the first module and it's called be the best yoga teacher you can be, which is a super cheesy, but I was like, well, what, what are we doing in this 50 hour? Well, Mm -hmm. we're going to try to be the best yoga teacher we can be. We're going to work on all that stuff that I just said. We're going to take out the phrase, we're going to, from our cues, um, teaching in front of each other, peer feedback, video recording of ourselves, audio recording of ourselves, vocal technique, uh, games, like just finding the playfulness in it, sequencing, how do we do advanced sequencing? So all of that is going to be uh, rolled into our 50-hour intro to advanced teacher training. It's seven Fridays beginning September 30th. They're full day Fridays, 9 a.m. to 4 p.m. at our Grand Lake location, and that's offered in person. So that's the intro to the 300 hour. And then we've rounded up some really amazing local Bay Area teachers and even have someone coming from Seattle for the modules that will follow. We, of course, have Whitney Walsh, our um, alignment and anatomy teacher, coming out from Austin in January for a week to lead one week. We have Jane Austen, who's kind of the godmother of pre and postnatal yoga to lead a full day uh, perinatal teacher training in March. So far, all people who have been on the podcast, by the way. (laughs) Right. Amazing. You can listen back. Oh, so good. (laughs) Go on, Um, sorry. Right. Yeah. So Nicole Chase, who's a somatic therapist, as well as super strong alignment teacher and has probably one of the strongest practices in a human being that I've ever experienced. She's wonderful. She's going to do a week with us. She's also doing some silent disco classes with us this fall and some workshops. And uh, what is Brenda, what's yeah. she teaching? What's what's the she's, she's going to do a lot, some alignment and anatomy and then so like somatic expression through movement. Oh, nice. So yeah. fun, right. Experiential expression, dance, yoga together. I feel like her, yeah, like I, that's a little bit what I th- love about her. Her classes have such like awesome sequencing. And I guess that's like a little bit mm-hmm. sequencing. Yeah. Yes. That's yeah. going to be amazing. She's, she's amazing. She's also a musician, a semi-professional singer and a dancer. So <laughs> it's all rolled into one. Um, we have Brendan Smullen coming from Seattle, another incredibly strong practitioner. He's going to be leading a rocket Ashtanga training for a week. And we have Samara Reynolds um, heading up our restorative weekend, which we have to still schedule, but it'll be sometime next year. Um, and she's a Judith Lassiter trained uh, restorative and yoga teacher. Um, yeah, so basically all of those workshops together, those kind of one week modules, as you can call them, will add up to the 300 hours and people will have about 15 months to do them 
if you don't want to do some of them, you might be able to do a different one next year. Um, and we're going to be adding different components throughout the next kind of two years. And of course, you can take these a la carte. So if you don't want to follow through the whole 300 hour, you just want to pop in and you're already a yoga teacher and you want to learn how to lead perinatal yoga, you know, you might pop into Jane Austen's workshop or something like that. Yeah, that's one so, of the benefits, I think, is the 200 hour you have to, it has to be all in one, which I understand why. But I think the 500 right. hour is sort of nice because you can be a little, or 300 hours sort of nice because you can be a little bit more flexible with what you're interested in. And, Definitely. Yeah. And then for the 200 hour, we're doing our usual every other weekend format beginning in January. Um, that will also be held mostly at our Grand Avenue studio. Some of the sessions will be at our Laurel location, um, but it's every other weekend starting January 14th through mid-May. Um, intensive Saturdays and Sundays, 1030 to I think 530. And then a, two, a Thursday night component where they're going to study with me, and that will be the practice teaching. So that's a 6.30 mm. to 7.45 every Thursday commitment. And then, this is so fun, included in the tuition, we take everyone on a weekend retreat after the final exam. So people get really worried about the final exam, which, of course, they shouldn't, but it's a 20-minute class that they teach, they sequence, they you know teach to their peers. And then the next weekend, we take everybody down to Los Gatos for a camping trip. Um, we have a pool, a hot tub down there, and we bring along a gourmet organic chef and we provide all the food for the weekend and everyone gets to just hang out, practice yoga and enjoy each other's company. So as far as I know, I think we're the only studio in the Bay Area that offers a retreat along with their uh, teacher training. It's included in the fee. So, you know, a lot of people really, really love that. We have space available in our January um, 200 hour as of now, but it'll probably go up um, mid fall. So that's exciting. Yeah. Yeah. And that, the thing I really love about the left coast training and for, from what I've heard from people who have done it and just people around is that it's the kind of thing where you don't have to want to be a teacher to do it. Like you might end up, you want to teach and not deciding you want to teach, but really it's like, if you want to learn more about yoga, if you want to, um, have your own practice, like that's the thing, you know, it'll help you with all of those things. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we've had people, you know, in different phases of life come to that, whether they have a new job or just left a job or looking for the next chapter in a breakup. Um, and it's really, I mean, to submerge yourself in this work, not just physical asana work, but the emotional and spiritual work and challenges and journey and getting so close with a, another group of people. We don't really get that as adults. You know, in school, maybe we did these trips or maybe you got really close with your class, but I think we're we're seeking those relationships as adults. And I will say that pretty much every class we've graduated, so we started in 2018, so this will be the sixth one next year, um, they've really stayed in touch. And, you know, maybe they have a WhatsApp group or a text group, but you see these people still getting together outside of that six months that they were together in the training. That's um, so sweet. Yeah. Um, yeah. I know that you're a very busy um, woman, but I, what are you doing for you? Because you have so much going on and so much uncertainty. How, how are you taking care of yourself? It's so crazy. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I know. That's always the question, right? Um, I bought myself a hot tub during the pandemic. Nice. And using that, I, I have two little kids and it also gets really hot in the summer. So, you know, in the summer, it's the cool tub, the kids splash around, you know, that kind of stuff. Um, 
we also are fortunate enough to have a retreat center in Mexico that has been hosting us for about five years. And um, we make it a point to go for the retreat at least two or three times a year. So I often will lead a retreat and then spend, you know, three, four days down there with my family or just by myself chilling out. Mm. Um, as you know, I come to Chicago to see family. Um, my whole family's in Chicago. We do that a couple times a year. Um, and yeah, I think just as we all know, particularly as women, when our nutrition goes and when our sleep goes, like it's just that house of cards where it just all comes toppling down. Right. Mm. So I think that if we can keep our, our good food up and our sleep up and our getting out in nature time, I feel like when that, when those things are in good, in a good place, like I'm in a good place, but you have to remind yourself, you know, you get busy. And then the next thing you know, you haven't eaten properly in a couple of days. You haven't slept properly in a couple of days. And you're like, why am I losing it? So just those constant reminders. Yeah. I know you're so good. You've been one of my, one of my meditation um, teachers, like just the, your, your journey, how you are so consistent with your meditation practice. I really <laughs> aspire to be as consistent with you. I'm kind of inconsistent, but um, of course that's a really important thing to, to do. Also, I read a quote the other day on um, someone I follow on Instagram and it was something along the lines of the enlightened brain can't kick in because the busy brain is stopping it mm. and so it was something along the lines of we just you know we all know this but like when you're in that sympathetic nervous system that fight or flight when you're constantly just going through the to-do list the, you know this that and then the judgment and that the really truly divine brain isn't isn't getting a chance to express itself you know in yoga we call it the purusha versus the property so I think daily reminders of that are, are super important for all of us. Yeah. And the irony is like what you were saying, the thing is, if the, if you're not taking care of the property things, the eating well, the sleeping, mm-hmm. it, 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 that's how property takes over. Like you, you can't ignore it. <laughs> you got to feed yeah. yourself and sleep. It, or- it, it manifests itself in, in illness and disease and stress and, and mm-hmm. all of the things. Right. Yeah, it, it demands your attention. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Are, are you getting time to practice yoga lately? Mm-hmm. Yeah. One of the great things about bringing on all these new teachers is I'm I'm going to a lot of classes with new teachers. You know, we um, we have a lot of new people that we're kind of showing the ropes, and so I'm practicing. I'm teaching about three classes a week. Um, most of the Sunday Saturday mornings, I uh, do the silent disco class. Um, so I get to practice about once a week outside, which I love. Mm. And I will say that I'm not the strongest Zoom practitioner just because I have my kids here and the dog. And so I'm 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 definitely a studio yogi. You know, I really like the separation of going to the studio, putting on my yoga clothes, getting into that zone. And um, so I'll practice a few times a week and then I teach a few times a week as well. So any poses you're loving lately or, or like sequences or anything like that? So um, we have a new teacher at the studio and this is so fun because it spontaneously happened. I took his class and he did this really fun transition of, um, okay, so it was uh, lo- a low lunge, 
and then toe heel the foot over into that one that uh, we used to call Vishnu's couch over to the side where you bring the hip down. It's a mm-hmm. side plank variation where the upper foot is bent over. What do you call that? I I took the name Vishnu's couch from Jenna, who's one of our like Anusara teachers. I've heard it so, called rainbow. Uh, rainbow. Okay. Yeah. I like that. Or okay. the side plank, supported side plank, really. I mean, it supported is kind side of, plank, yeah. Right, where the foot is in front. So yes. you go into that. And then, um, so he was doing a lot of that in his class. And so I said, hey, what if we added this on? And from that one, I grabbed my knee and I pulled it up into a, a real side plank with the knee in towards the armpit. Mm. And he said, that's cool. I'm going to add it on. And then Malka, one of our super amazingly awesome teachers, came to one of our classes and we did it and she said "Ooh, but then what if we did this and she stepped the foot behind and pressed the hips up into wild thing with the other arm up and mm-hmm. I was like oh my gosh I'm gonna feel that so it start, <laughs> we started spontaneously like just building this sequence from going to each other's classes and I was like this is the most fun thing ever let's all do this all the time mm-hmm. so if to answer your question I would say like going to teachers classes and like really having fun, maybe staying afterwards a little bit and playing with some of their sequences and maybe adding on and making it your own is like such our jam right now at Left Coast. And, and oh, the students love so it too. Yeah, they're getting it. The students are getting involved too. So that's the really fun. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. That's so fun. I used to, that was a big thing Valerie and I used to do a lot when we both were teaching. Yes. <laughs> of course. Yeah. Um, yeah. Cool. Well, it has been um, so good talking to you. Thank um, you. I, um, we talked about your teacher trainings, but, um, and in the intro, we talked about the studio teacher at this left coast power yoga, <laughs> in case anyone is still <laughs> curious. Um, and then is there any other info you want to share? Um, I think that's it. You know, I'll, I will put the, uh, in the show notes, we can put our website right mm-hmm. now. We have a Mexico retreat coming up in October and then another one next June. So a lot of people are like, thank you so much for scheduling it like a year in advance. That'll allow me to, you know, get the t- time together and everything. So we do schedule a lot of um, retreats, you know, that far in advance if people are interested in coming. Um, we have a local retreat Labor Day weekend, which we have a couple spaces. And yeah, we would just love to have people come and be part of our community, whether it's an outdoor event, whether it's an indoor class, we're going to be rolling out our childcare program. Oh, we did just get voted best of Oakland through Oakland mm-hmm. magazine poll, um, a reader's poll that happened this summer that ran through parents press. So we're super excited about that. Um, yeah, I feel like we're in kind of a turning point, which is super exciting now. And I'm so grateful to you for letting me be on this and, and talk about all the things. Oh my gosh, this has been so fun. Um, So good to chat with you. And we'll have everything in the show notes. And definitely, if you're in the Bay Area, take a look at those retreats, because I think people think of them as unaffordable, but Left Coast Power Yogas are some of the most affordable and honestly, the most fun, chillest group. So (laughs) they're made for everybody, those retreats. Thank you. Yeah. Um, Okay. Well, thank you so much, Rachel. All right. Thanks, Rebecca. Happy practicing. (laughs) Bye. (laughs) that was rachel rajput of left coast power yoga and as she said you can find her on instagram at left coast power yoga you can also find her what her website is left coast power yoga where you can email her or her staff 
um, really wonderful studio. They're still doing Zoom classes. So even if you're far away, but you want to check out some of that vibe, uh, please do. And like I said, her retreats really are affordable. Left Coast Power Yoga's, Yoga's retreats are much more affordable and much more chill and fun uh, and super relaxing than other retreats I've been on or, or worked with. So I really recommend checking those out. Uh, the one day retreats particularly sound interesting if you're located in California. And the teacher tra trainings are great. I've worked um, in a Left Coast Power Yoga teacher training and know most of the teachers who are working uh, with Left Coast Power Yoga now. So if you have any questions, feel free to email me. Um, and then, you know, I'll be totally honest and tell you what I think. And really, if you ever want to talk to me about a teacher training, it's the kind of thing I really find interesting and I like chatting with people about. So feel free. I mean, really, any kind of yoga, you know that. <laughs> any kind of yoga quandary I'm happy to talk about. Or just like a yoga win, a yoga triumph, a yoga woe, all that. Please email me at Rebecca at homebodiesyoga.com. And I think that's it. Um, happy practicing. And I will see you in two weeks for real this time. Bye.